How are we doing? Good? I think that that uh, little video is a little bit misleading. It's all cute, little kids and counting. And then at the end, you see the money jar. You're like, wait a second. This is the money talk, you know? So go ahead and hide your wallets. We're not going to try to take them. Uh, but we are in this series where we're trying to look at what are the things in our life, in our ministry, in the way we live as followers of Jesus that keep us from having the impact that God wants us to have. And one of those things that is the greatest opportunity, I think, or not the greatest, but is a great opportunity for us to love and to care for people, to make an impact, is the way we use our money. And also a great uh, distraction for us also is our money, right? So kind of the tagline is uh, wealth, poverty, and the kingdom. And so today we're going to focus really on that, that question of poverty. But before we jump into that, just want to, out of curiosity, I want to find out how many people here would say that you are pro-poverty. Do we have any pro-poverty people in the room? Really? First service was like 75% pro-poverty. No, I'm just kidding. You know what? I've never met anybody that was like, you know what my life ambition is? is to help people get into poverty. That is what I want to do. I'm trying to, I've got a GoFundMe set up. We're, we're really pro-poverty here. That's not, it doesn't happen. I don't meet those people. I remember my wife, we were at a conference one time, and they were giving out these shirts that just said poverty sucks on them, right? And uh, so my wife got one of those shirts, and she used to wear it around, and people would always give her compliments. They're like, oh, I love that shirt. That's so cool. And nobody ever came up to her and was like, you know what? I disagree with the point of your shirt. That just didn't happen. But I also want us to get beyond just saying poverty sucks and really say, how do we as Christians, how do we as people who are trying to emulate the heart of God, how do we view poverty and view the, the pain and the struggle that, that so many of us, so many people in our world have experienced and are experiencing. And, and as I was kind of looking at this passage, going through scripture, one of the things that really stood out to me is there is a ton in the Bible about this subject. In fact, I had a really hard time narrowing it down because there are just verses from the beginning to the end that talk about poverty and talk about God's heart for the poor, God's heart for those who are struggling. So if you notice in your notes, there is a bunch of verses. We're going to kind of touch on those, but we're not going to have time to dive into all those. I encourage you um, this week to jump into those and read through some of those things. I think you'll really be encouraged and challenged by it. Uh, But this morning, I want us to look at a psalm, Psalm 72. And and in this psalm, it's really a cool psalm. It's Solomon, or it might have been his dad, David, writing it for Solomon. But let's just assume for today that it's Solomon writing it. And it's this, this prayer. He's looking at becoming king and his future as king. And he's got this prayer that he, he gives up to God. He says, God, give me your justice. Give me your righteousness. And as this psalm goes on, I think that Solomon actually sees kind of this picture of who God is. God's perfect justice, God's perfect love. And he longs for that for himself. He wants to model that. And actually, it's such a profound psalm that a lot of people, if they've studied this over the years, they go, wow, Solomon is talking about Jesus here, the only perfect king. It must be talking about him. I'm not even sure Solomon realized that. But I think what Solomon is trying to do is saying, God, I'm overwhelmed. Give me your heart. So as we read this today, I hope that is, is our heart this morning. As we look at our world 
as we look at the brokenness, this, this issue of, of poverty and people hurting, that we say, God, give us your heart in this situation. So if you want to open uh, your Bible, you can to Psalm 72. Otherwise, it'll be up behind you on the screen, or behind me on the screen. Um, so it starts with this. He says, give the king your justice, O God, and may your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he deliver the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressors. So Solomon, right, he has more wealth and power than, than some can be imaginable. And yet he's looking forward as king going, God, I, I need your help here. I would imagine he's starting to get people coming to him going, Solomon, my family is starving. What are you going to do for us? How can you help us? We're dying here. I need king, do something. Or maybe it was like the uh, people coming to him go, Solomon, you got to go talk to the shepherd's union out there. They have kind of formed this monopoly. They're driving up the price of mutton. And how are we going to do Passover this year? Whatever, you know, like was going on. He's getting all this pressure. And his response is so beautiful. He doesn't know how to do this on his own. So he prays out to God. And I think about just our own world. This last several weeks has been, it's been difficult, right? Our world is hurting. There are so many struggles um, with the hurricanes and the violence and the earthquakes. And, and there are times that I, I look at the struggles, and I don't even know how to pray, right? I don't even know, God, what would be justice in this situation? What would be good? How is there any hope in these things? And I have a lot of encouragement here by Sol, from Solomon just to, to lift that up to God and say, God, teach me, guide me. Let's continue on. It says, may, the, may they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations, may he be like the rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his presence, may the righteous flurry and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow down before him and the enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarsus and the coastland render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Siva bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Now, when I first read this section as kind of a modern, enlightened American, right? I, it kind of, it rubbed me a little bit wrong. It seemed a little bit kind of imperialistic and domineering. And, and I also realized that that's probably part of the rhetoric, the way that kings in that time would have, would have spoken and would have thought. But I actually, as I, I kind of looked at it deeper, I think it points to something really profound. Again, I think Solomon is looking beyond himself. He's seeing really the heart and the justice of God, and he's realizing that this heart of God is so beautiful that all the nations of the world would be blessed by it, and they would gladly come to it and to experience it. And as I was thinking about just this topic of poverty and of the struggle that so many people are going through, just that realization that it's not just a topic for our area. Right? It's not just a Fremontonian thing that we're talking about. It's not even a, an American thing that we're talking about. That the justice of God, the heart of God, is for all people of all places. And, and I, I think that informs kind of the way we have this conversation. So let's continue on. In verse 12, it says, For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him 
who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and he saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is the blood, is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May the gold of Sheba be given to him, and may prayers be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be an abundance of grain in the land, and the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All the nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. It's a, it's a really a beautiful psalm. And I found that as I was reading it, it was hard for me to, to distinguish when Solomon was talking about himself and when he was talking about God. And I think it's because he desired so deeply to have this heart, this passion, these desires that were of God and that were shaped by him, this heart for justice. And this morning, I hope that is our prayer, that, that we reflect the heart of God, that, that our prayer is to, to be like God and the way he thinks and to follow him, to be obedient to him in these things. So let's go ahead and jump into it. One of the, the first things that, that kind of stood out to me in this passage and actually throughout scripture is that God depicts himself as standing on the side of the poor. That, that God throughout scripture has shown himself as being on the side, advocating for, caring for those who are struggling, those who are oppressed by financial realities. And I was just thinking about like how easy it is for us, and, and I'm not at all trying to, to, to mock this, because I think it actually speaks to something really profound in all of us. But this desire, whenever there's a crisis in our world, we all go to change our profile picture on Facebook, right? I stand with Paris. I stand with Texas. I stand with uh, Puerto Rico. I stand whatever the, the current crisis might be. And I actually think that that's because there's a part of all of us that that's something good, that's part of the way that we were created, that wants to stand with, that wants to, to connect with people who are suffering and hurting and, and show that we care in that situation. And one of the things that just stood out to me is, is how often in Scripture God says, I want you to know this, I stand with the poor. I stand with those who are hurting. Look at um, what it says in verse 12 and 13. He says, uh, he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. So much so that even their blood is precious in his sight. What an amazing picture that is of God. And we see this throughout scripture. There's a bunch of places, like one of the, the points there in your note is Psalms 109. And in this passage, God describes himself as standing on the right-hand side of the poor. How cool is that, that those in society with the least amount of political and social agency, to know that even though in, in the sight maybe of your neighbors or your community or people around you, you don't have a lot of power, that the creator of the universe stands beside you. In uh, Proverbs 22, there's this proverb that, that says, don't take advantage of the poor, those people that you see begging at the city gates. 
Because even though you might not be able to see it, that God is standing with them, fighting for them, and advocating for them. You might not see it, but that's the way God sees it. Um, In Isaiah, God describes himself through the prophet Isaiah as being a stronghold and a refuge for those who are afflicted and are poor and a home for the foreigners. Uh, In Luke, when Jesus is beginning his ministry, Luke in both chapter four and chapter six really shows that Jesus goes out of his way to, to begin his ministry showing that he stands for those who are poor and suffering and hurting. And all the way down into Revelations when uh, John is writing the letter to the church of Smyrna, or Jesus kind of through John, to the church of Smyrna, and he says, I know that you guys have been through incredible poverty, and know that more is coming, but endure, because I have a crown of, of glory for you, a victor's crown for you. I stand with you. And I think this is really important for us to realize, because so often we can kind of value certain people over other people, right? We, we all have a tendency to do it. Those who have resources and things that they can offer us, we kind of put them on a little bit higher place than other people. It's, I think, part of human nature. It's part of our brokenness. And yet we see the exact opposite picture. Now, we know that God loves and cares for all people. This isn't saying that God doesn't love those who are, are rich and powerful. But I can't think of any verses where God goes out of his way to say that I stand at the right hand of the rich and powerful. Because we kind of get that. But what we don't always get is that I stand at the right of those who you might not see it. So as we're kind of thinking about this today. What does this affect us? And I think the first thing, if, if you are here today and you are struggling um, with economic pressures in your life, you're having a hard time making bills, you've lost your job, you're feeling overwhelmed, know this, that that is not a reflection of God's love for you. That that God is not uh, looking at you with disdain and going, oh man, if you would have just made better decisions, you would be in a better place. Wow, you really screwed this one up. But that God stands with you, that he loves you, that he cares for you. Another thing that I think we need to, to wrestle with is if this is the worldview of God, then shouldn't this affect our worldview? Shouldn't this affect how we see people, how we care for people, how we view the world? Shouldn't this at some level affect the kind of things that we buy, the kind of way we do our budget, maybe the the sort of business practices we engage in, even our political decisions? Shouldn't this begin to affect those things in our life? And I think they should. In fact, I think that um, if this is the heart of God, kind of our next point here is that we need to take specific actions to become advocates for the poor. And I think it's really easy for us to all kind of stand back and go, yeah, yeah, God loves people who are struggling, right on. But then to take it the next step and say, if God loves people who are struggling, what are we doing to specifically, intentionally advocate, care for, support people who are struggling? And I think the two have to go hand in hand. But I want to take just a quick pause because I think it can be easy, especially here in Fremont in such an expensive city. We can have this discussion like it's just about rich people caring for poor people. We make these weird distinctions that I don't think are biblical. In fact, I think that the call of Christians is to care and support people who are struggling, who are are, um, in poverty, regardless of whether you have a ton of resources or if you have no resources. 
Now, obviously, the way we do that looks different. It's, it's, um, it's kind of God's working in our lives. But the call is the same, that we are to care for people, we are to support people. So if you feel like I don't have a lot to give financially, know that this conversation doesn't happen without you, right? That, that we are a part of this. But I also think that it can be easy to allow our resources to become barriers to building relationships with people. And I think it's very difficult to have advocacy for people, care for people, if we don't have relationships with them. Last week, we had Roy Goebel up here talking. And I, one of the things he said is we have to be careful because our wealth can become these fences that we put around us, these walls that we put around us. And, and it can disconnect us from people of lower socioeconomic status than we have. And I thought that was really profound from him because he's a a wealthy guy and he can write checks that completely change people's lives. And he could do that from a distance. He can write a check. He can drop it in the mailbox. And he could probably change entire communities' lives in that action. And he's done that. But he also realizes the importance of that relational element of getting to know people, of getting to care for people, finding out what their true needs are. And that part of that requires us getting outside of our comfort level, intentionally building relationships, connecting with people so that we can be advocates and we can care for people. And that can be difficult in in our lives sometimes, especially here. We live in our suburbs. We can kind of distance ourselves from maybe some of the poverty that's happening in, in other parts of our city or in urban centers around our country or impoverished countries around our world. And I think we need to be intentional about that. One of the reasons we do our impact days, and we try really hard, we don't always do a great job of setting up projects that build relationships with other people, but that's one of our goals in our impact days is Can we do our impact days in such a way that that we as a church are able to connect with people who are struggling, who are trapped in poverty, who need support and help to begin to foster those relationships? Uh, In case you're curious, we do have an impact day coming up on the 21st that you can register for for, uh, online now. And it it really is an awesome way for us to to connect. And what's cool is when we build those relationships, it kind of changes the equation a little bit. It's not just about us doing charity when we are in relationship with somebody, it changes how we view our resources. It changes how we view our, our income and our savings and all those things. A good example of that is a couple of years ago, uh, it was probably a lot of you have heard we have relationships as a church with uh, orphans down in kind of northern Mexico. And a couple of years ago, there was this young man who we know well, we care a lot about, who was going off to college. And since he's an orphan, he doesn't have family to help him pay for it. He didn't have a place to live, all these things. And so some of the orphanage workers came to us and said, hey, you think that you guys might be able to help? We're doing some things down here to help him. He can stay with some people. And, and there was a, you know, we're writing le- recommendation letters for him. We're advocating for him to get him into this good school. And I think we can get him into this school, but he needs some help with finances. Now, if you were just to ask me kind of off the cuff, hey, there's this kid in XYZ country, they need X number of dollars a month to go to college, I would have probably gone back to Becca and I would have said, okay, babe, we need to look at our ministry budget, kind of our our charity part of our budget. Maybe we don't support this organization as much as this, or maybe, you know, it would have been that kind of conversation, but it wasn't. And for the group of us who knew this kid, it was like, okay, let's figure it out. And we had people going like door to door, asking their neighbors to support this kid. and, And we became advocates for this kid because we cared about him. And I think there's something really profound about us connecting with people, us being in relationship 
because it affects us deeply. And I think it helps us kind of see the heart of God. And especially if we're doing that with the perspective that Solomon has here where we say, God, teach us your judgment, or not judgment, that's a different sermon. Teach us your justice and your righteousness. Teach me how to love these people the way you do. So how do we do this? This can be challenging, right? Because we all have kind of our routines. We have our people that we know. And so I just want to give some suggestions, some recommendations. I don't know. But maybe you take BART to work. And maybe as you get off the BART station every week, you see the same person sitting there. Do you know them? Do you know their name? Do you know anything about them? Maybe that could be a start. It's just to say hi, just to to begin to get to know them. Or maybe uh, you work in an office building and every day your, your waste bin magically gets changed, right? Your, your garbage. Do you know the person who comes in and does that? Do you know their name? Have they ever been to your house? Have you ever been to their house? Or maybe even when we start thinking about globally how we do this, um, there are all sorts of great organizations out there that are caring for people and doing some incredible stuff to alleviate poverty around the country. Do you know the stories of what those organizations are doing? Do you know about the people they're serving? Most of those places give you newsletters. They give you different things. And I think when we get to hear those stories, when we begin to build those relationships, it can really change the way that we view things and can help us develop this heart of God. So another thing I see here, though, is that God's heart isn't just a heart that loves people, but it is also a heart that stands in opposition to the forces that, that keep them in poverty. Right, that, that God's heart requires poverty to be seen through the lens of justice. Throughout scripture, I see this theme that God is pro the poor and anti-poverty. And I think that's, that's really profound for us to think about, that, that repeatedly he says um, that, that in, he links that the poor need to have justice done for them. Um, Psalms, that, that Psalms we read, he writes that, that I might judge the poor with justice. He goes on to talk about defending the cause of the poor. And he even goes on to say to, uh, to alleviate the oppression that happens from generation to generation, the children of the needy. And, and this is this theme that we see kind of throughout scripture. In Psalms 140, uh, God promises to maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice to the poor. In Isaiah, again, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says, don't you dare rob from the poor and participate in acts of injustice. Because if you do, you are going to experience my wrath. And when you turn to me, you will turn to the very one that you offended. Right? The book of Amos, which there's this chapter, Amos chapter 5, which is a really a profound chapter. And I think is uh, enlightening for us in our society. And he says, how dare you? You have charged these exorbitant rents of the poor in your community while you live in these beautiful houses and you have great vineyards that you don't even drink the wine that those vineyards produce. And he gets to the end of that, that chapter and he says, let righteousness, let justice roll like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. This is the heart of God, right? And Luke uh, 11, Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees, and he's like, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You go and you, you divide out all your mint and your parsley and your little herbs, and you try to make sure you have exactly 10% to give to the church and, and, or to the temple, and yet you neglect the cause of the poor. You neglect justice for those 
in your society. And I think this is a point that, that gets a little bit challenging for us. And it's a part that, that I think the heart of God should inform our view of the world. It should challenge us a little bit. I read this uh, study the other day um, that was taken this, uh, I think this spring. And it was, I think, by the Washington Post and Kaiser, uh, whatever that thing is, that does surveys. And uh, they, they were looking at what is the impression of people on poverty based on their religious affiliation. And what it found is that Christians were 17 time, or 17% more likely to associate poverty as caused by the actions of the person in poverty than non-Christians. Non-Christians were 17 less likely, percent less likely to associate it with outside causes. And it actually became even more extreme when they looked at evangelicals versus atheists. And I just thought about that. And obviously, poverty is a complex issue. There's all sorts of factors that build into people struggling, right? That there are choices that people make, and there's outside forces that put in on them. But one thing I see in Scripture over and over again is the heart of God is a heart that longs for people to be made whole, that longs for justice, that longs for support and help, that is not a heart of judgment against those who are suffering. It is not a blame of those who are hurting, but one who, who comes alongside of, that speaks against the forces that, that cause poverty in their life. So if that is true of the God we worship, then I think we need to take specific actions for economic justice, Again, I know this is where it starts to get a little bit challenging and, and we start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. What do those words mean? And, and, and I think that it is good for us to wrestle with those things. It's good for us to struggle with this. This is something that throughout Scripture we see I, in Exodus 22, right, as God is establishing kind of the nation of Israel. He says, okay, I want you to conduct your businesses in such a way that you leave grain around the edges of your field for those who are needy and hungry and foreigners. Don't just try to maximize profit. Now, I don't think we have any farmers in here. Maybe a few of you have some gardens or something like that. Um, But we all have budgets, right? And what would our budget look like if we left some margin around our budget for generosity, Instead of trying to maximize all of our investments, maximize all of our spending for ourselves, what if we intentionally looked at our finances and said, how do I make sure I keep extra around the edge for people who might be hurting? Another passage that really stood out to me this week was Deuteronomy 15. And uh, this passage is actually connected to that story in the New Testament. I don't know if you remember it, but Jesus is sitting around in a room and this woman comes in and she's got this expensive perfume and she like anoints Jesus with it. And one of his disciples is like, dude, that money, we could have sold that perfume and used it for the poor. And Jesus says, don't you know, the poor will always be with you. I won't always be with you. And if you just read that for the first time, you could be excused to think that what that is saying is that spiritual things are more important than the practical things, right? That's, that's a, a, an interpretation you could make off of that. But what Jesus is actually quoting is Deuteronomy 15, in that where it says, don't you know the poor will be with you always? Therefore, give with open hands, give to whoever is in need. So I think the point Jesus is making is, you will have your entire time until I return, you have the opportunity to open your hands to care for people, to support them. Um, 
And we see this, again, uh, other passages that speak to this. In Matthew 25, uh, Jesus is, is talking about, how do you know if somebody is kind of talking about judgment day, and how do you know if somebody's a real Christian, if they're really following the Lord or not? And the distinction he makes, he kind of describes one as wolves and one as sheep. And he goes, here's how you know the difference between sheep and wolves. When they go before the judgment, it's the ones who have cared for the poor, who have visited those in prison, who have given clothes to the needy. It's convicting, isn't it? Like this is the heart of God for us. This is what it means to be a follower of him. And here's kind of where I struggle with this. I, um, I don't employ any sort of business practices that I think directly contribute to somebody being in poverty, right? I don't own any sweatshops, you know? I don't, uh, I don't force anybody to, to work for low wages, although we've got the internship program here at the church. I guess that's <laughs> close enough, right? But, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I can't directly tie my actions in, in simple steps to poverty. And I pay my taxes, and part of my taxes go to the welfare system in our country. And it could be easy for me to kind of sit back and go, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I, I've done my part. I, I've kind of, I feel okay about this. But I think if we do that, I, I think if I do that, I lie to myself. I deprive myself from the full heart of God a heart that cares for people, that longs for justice to happen, for people to be brought out of their pain and their poverty. So I was thinking through this week of all the ways we could kind of apply this. How do we live this out? And it gets a little bit tricky because if we start talking about specific actions or specific things, it's probably not realistic that God is calling all of us to do the exact same things, right? If we jump on this cause or that cause. So I was thinking about, you know when you... Like, imagine, I know none of you do this, but imagine you go to your refrigerator, it's late at night, and you're hungry, and you grab a container of something out of there, and you just immediately put a spoonful of it into your mouth. And then you look down, you realize it's all fuzzy and growing, uh, you know, something. And what's the natural reaction that's going to happen in your body? You're going to gag, right? Your body is designed in such a way to say, get that out of here, I don't want that. I think in some ways, there's a similar reaction that happens in our soul, at least in my soul. When I see people in unjust situations, when people are in unjust places of poverty, there's this reaction in my soul that gags. And I'm pretty good at overlooking that or moving on or not responding to that. But I I guess kind of the application I really want us to think about today is what if our prayer was that of Solomon's, that when our soul gags, When we experience that pain, instead of just trying to get by, instead of just trying to move on, what if our prayer was, God, give me your heart for justice in this situation? How could I respond to this? Is this something that you are are convicting me of because you want me to take action in? And I think what's really powerful about that is that God is going to be working in all of us differently. Some of us, there'll be some overlap. Some of us, it'll be the same. But I think in that, we see the beauty of what God is doing in our world flow out of our actions, flow out of our church. In this poetry of the psalm, Solomon is describing how great this nation would be if this justice was invoked. He says, it would be like rain falling down on fresh mowed grass. It would be like rocky mountain peaks were able to grow food that would feed the nation. And I wonder, what would that look like? 
what is it look like? I don't even want to imply that it isn't happening because I think it already is happening when the church takes hold of that justice, when we get excited about caring for people, when we get excited about being advocates for people. I think in that, we see the love of God rolling out the doors of our church, maybe rolling out into the Alameda Creek and rushing out into the entire Bay Area and out into the the entirety of the world. And we know that when Christ returns, we will see the perfection of this justice. We will see the perfection of his love. And, And I'm under no disillusion that we're going to experience that in our lifetime. But I think we can model the heart of God in a world that needs it. I think we can share the beauty so much so that that people will be able to say what's said at the end of this psalm, that is, blessed be the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone has done wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with this glory. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God wants to do through us as a church? So let me pray, and uh, maybe our prayer just is a prayer to be convicted, a prayer for our heart to reflect the heart of God. Let's pray. God, you know that this is a struggle for us. It's a struggle for me to not view my resources as my own, not try to be protectionistic of what I have, um, to see people with true love and affection and not just uh, through my brokenness. I pray that we as a church could be a church that loves people the way you love people, that justice and righteousness flows out of our doors, that people are impacted, that people's lives are changed, that people have hope and meaning and purpose because of the relationship that they have with us and then through us to you. God, we love you and we praise you and we know that you alone are glorious, that you alone are good, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.